welcome to the Coach Bo Knows Podcast on the Studio Soapbox Network. I'm Coach Bo, Brian O'Connor. We're recorded live at the O'Connor Advisor Group Studios. Check out all things O'Connor Advisor Group at OAGKS.com. You can interact with the show on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at Coach Bo Knows Show. Check out our Facebook page. Just search for Coach Bo Knows Show. You'll find it. And you can email us at show at gmail.com. This is episode 34, and today is going to be a little different. No Coach Bo rants today. Instead, we've got an interview. We've got Micah Brown coming in, and Micah Brown's a filmmaker, former uh, Kansas football player, track star, Kansas. He's a great story, and I just love this guy's work. He's going to talk to us about, um, we're going to get in-depth a little bit on his new project, the WWE and Peacock, but where you might have seen Micah Brown before, um, other than his exploits on the field at Kansas, is a few of his documentaries. You may have seen Prison Fighters, uh, Five Rounds to Freedom on Showtime. It's a great documentary if you've never seen it. Uh, Chuck and Tito as part of the ESPN 30 for 30 was um, Micah as well. We talked a little bit about that in the interview. And then we're going to talk a little bit about his um, background, where he kind of came from. He's got some great stories. And then we're also going to talk about the WWE Evil, uh, WWE Evil is a new series, an eight-parter that is going to drop, and it's already dropped on the Peacock. And uh, Micah is the showrunner, the producer, the director, the the whole shebang. Uh, narrated by John Cena, it's a really, really fantastic uh, set of documentaries. I've watched all eight now, and I'm just honored that we could get Micah and some time with Micah today. So, without further ado, here is my interview with Micah Brown. Thank you so much, Micah, for spending some time with me today. Uh, let's just get into it. Um, let me ask first, obviously, you have a background. You went to University of Kansas, and you played football, and you were a track star. And it, from what you do now, most of what you're doing now is sports docs, correct? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, those worlds, you know, I think whenever you're a filmmaker and you're um, – wanting to figure out what you want to do that one of the most important parts is exploring worlds that you know now clearly i'm exploring worlds i don't really know now you know but i think initially getting started in sports was something that i had an attachment to and um i didn't really have a desire to play at the next level or really quite frankly the ability to play at the next level (laughs) in sports uh you know but this was something that i knew was important to my life and my growth and so it just seemed to marry those two worlds together made sense and very cool i love it when people find some passion they have something they can do and and love that i think you know the old adage of if you love what you do you don't work a day in your life um, yeah so I, we, we've seen you've done stuff with the nfl with sc featured uh, nfl sunday countdown espn college game day draft academy last chance of you. I mean, you've got a pretty great resume, but you jumped into the full length features a few years ago and started out with uh, prison fighters. And I, the first thing I wanted to ask on prison fighters, which I, I think is a great doc, by the way, I think it's a great story. I think you did a fantastic job of telling the story. How did you find the story? Yeah. For prison fighters. Well, I mean, that was great. That was a crazy one. Um, so I'll give you a little background. I was I was kind of going around and I was a cinematographer for a bunch of other filmmakers. 
And um, I felt like I had my own stories to tell and I felt like I was a good storyteller, but I just hadn't gotten those opportunities. And I kept going out and pitching to people like 30 for 30. And I kept kind of hearing the same thing, like, hey, you know, obviously you're very talented visually, like we can tell that you have a storyteller's heart, but you kind of got to do something in this business before you do something. It's kind of like the, the whole thing. It's like, you got to have a resume. How do I get a resume? You get a resume, you know, like, yeah. what? you know, how does this even work? And so I started kind of poking around at a couple different ideas um, that I could just go do. I'm like, I own a camera. I own all the, I, it's just my time. I have the ability to do it. I'm not going to let somebody <clears throat> dictate my future. I want to take it in my own hands. You know, I'm not really a sit around and wait type of guy. And um, so I just started thinking in my mind, like, what would be a really cool story? And I started going, ah, oh, maybe a boxing story, maybe a prison boxing story, maybe. And then I literally Googled fighting for freedom, okay. you know, man fights for freedom. And I found this article online about a prison in Thailand that allows inmates to fight for their freedom. And I yeah. said, oh my God, is this real? And so um, I saw that there was a uh, writer for it and I emailed that writer and he said, man, I don't know. If that program is still around, you know, it was something that we kind of did for Vice and for some other things. Um, but here's an email address you can try. And it was like contact at, you know, prison fight dot whatever, you know, yeah. whatever it was. And so I said, all right. So I emailed that email address every single day for six months. And wow. when I say I emailed it, I mean, I wasn't getting it kicked back. So I knew it was going somewhere. And eventually... I got an email back that said, Hey, Micah, thank you for your inquiry. Um, you know, we would love to set up a meeting with you on Skype, but um, please stop emailing. And so <laughs> I, I eventually, pain, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we got on Skype and it was, you know, there was a language barrier there. It was this um, guy who was in the mafia and he was from Estonia and he had like, kind of like, you know, was arranging all this stuff. And so we were, we were trying to talk, but there was a um, there was just co some confusion of my Western brain trying to translate what they were saying, even though they could speak English. It was like things that were obvious to them were not obvious to me. Yeah. And it was just kind of like going nowhere. So I decided to get on a plane and fly to Thailand. And so um, I felt like it wasn't going to happen if I didn't go. Mm -hmm. So I showed up in Thailand and um, I called the guy. And I said, hey, I'm here. Let's meet. And he said, all right, here's his address. Come alone. And so he sent me this address. And I got in the taxi. And I drove. Um, the taxi driver didn't speak English. He spoke Thai. So I'm in Bangkok at night, <laughs> riding in a taxi. Don't speak the language. There's this giant cellar or like a chain link door that they pull open. And the taxi cab drives in there. And out steps this guy that I've only met. His name's Kirill. And he's from Estonia. And he's about, you know, five, seven. And another guy gets out of the car who's like six, eight. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And, uh, you know, they shut that fence behind me. And I get out and I walk up and I shake his hand. I'm trying to stay confident, you know, in what I'm doing. And I say, uh, you know, what is this place? And he says, it's a sauna. And I said, it's a sauna. And I'm like, is there like a restaurant in there or something? He goes, no, we're going to go sit in the sauna. 
I'm like, man, this is straight out of Eastern Promises or some crazy movie, you know? So we go in there and he says, get undressed. And they're just staring at me. Yeah, they want to see if I'm wearing a wire. And I thought about it, honestly. I did think about it because I wanted some proof to a network that like, you know, this was a real opportunity and I wasn't wearing one, uh, luckily. And so I get undressed. They kind of, you know, put their guns in the locker and um, we go in there butt naked and start having our meeting. And um, we're sitting in there and there's other people he's pointing out. Hey, that's the guy in a Polish mob. That's the guy that's a crooked cop. I mean, I mean, it was like a it was like a melting pot of all these random nationalities and ethnic groups and all everybody just sitting in these little tables. And we would go in there and we'd sit in the sun and then we'd come out and we'd you know, um, eat and drink some water. I did like the princess bride thing with my water at one point, <laughs> you know, it's like, you're going to like, ah, I need to like, you know, yeah. and look over there, you know, it's like, one of the, so, um, you know, uh, but when it came down to it, they said, man, you're the right guy to tell this story because we brought people from Nat Geo. We brought people from HBO. We brought people down here and nobody wanted to go in the sauna. And they're like, I don't understand why it's so crazy. It's just a sauna. Yeah, you know, but in but in their mind it was just a sauna, and our mind is like we're meeting with mafia guys in a sauna. I'm gonna get yeah. killed, you know. And um, I just figured I came all the way out there, and I'm gonna not leave without a movie. And so we got it signed, and then um, the next step, I was able to take that to Showtime and say, "Hey, I got an idea, and you can't do it without me, and I'm doing it without you, regardless." And um, so it was a great opportunity to be able to have some leverage, have access that nobody else had access to, and an amazing story that luckily Showtime got behind. They gave me all of the resources needed to make it happen. And uh, we put a really great team together and um, accomplished something really special. When you're doing the interviews for this for these shows, especially for, for, for let's say, prison <clears throat> fighters, for instance, are you the one asking the questions? Yeah. Okay. I do all of the main ones. And okay. so if there's like some smaller ones, I may not do those. I may have a producer do them or it just depends where we're at in the process. If I'm like stuck in editing or whatever, but okay. if we're doing the big ones, I'm usually there for the big shoots. Okay. In, in prison fighters case specifically, it was challenging because there was a language barrier. Yeah. That was my question. And so we had, yeah. So we had a fixer that was a translator and a fixer. And um, I would write out all the questions and then she, it was pretty much just like, hey, I hope I prepped you well. And then she would do the interviews. And then, you know, she would try to communicate back to me, like if there was something that I need to follow up or whatever. Um, but honestly, that project was so hard because you're just filming everything. You don't know what anybody's saying. Yeah. And then you get back and edit and you find out you have what you need or you don't, you know. Okay. And so... Um, Obviously, if you got a guy like Ron Perlman, who's a VO, you can bridge gaps with information. But, yeah. you know, is and he was the was, perfect um, narrator for that, by the way. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to go with Hellboy. Yeah. So I have a couple of questions specific to of Prisoner Fighters now. So when you were putting this together and you were putting the story together, so you're editing the story, I assume you have some kind of storyboard or you know where it's going to go in the beginning. I mean, you know, you're working with, you know, you're going to follow Noi in this case. And yeah. um, my question is, not to spoil too much, but what happens if Noi loses at the end? 
Well, that's the interesting thing about that project. So when we were shooting it, we actually shot with three different people because we didn't know who was going to get out. And so we actually followed a couple of different people and you don't know what's going to happen. And then you kind of eventually after you figure out who has the best story, because you're kind of going in there blind, you can like prep it. And so we would do pre-interviews with people and we would like have the fixer go down there and find out a little bit about backstory. And, you know, there's some people that you're like, okay, in this case, what I was trying to do is make you be able to relate with them as a human. And so it was really important that even as a murderer, I wanted to be able to pull out some human elements where you could empathize with them as people. Because I think that even when people make mistakes, this is a story kind of about forgiveness and who deserves it. And so you want to be able to have empathy with them to a certain degree. And then when you find out the information of their murder, does that change the way that you see them? Yeah. You know, and so part of it was finding the right guy that had all those elements to it and, you know, then kind yeah. of tracking it and making the decision to commit, you know. I thought you did an incredible job of that. So in, in, in the fact that Noy was a murderer and he admits what he did at some point in the movie, you, yeah. you never hide what he did and you never say whether he denied it or not. But he gets very frank at one point and says, hey, I was drunk. I did this. I stabbed a guy. And, you know, but there is the underlining story of his son, him wanting to get out to be with his child. And you can see the the rebuilding of someone in this way. Yeah. Thought it was incredible. I watched it again. It's the third time I've watched it and I recommend it to anybody. It's a great, great story. But I was curious how that works. You got three different stories you're telling there and you didn't tell, but the one, well, you told two, you had Noy and then you had the, um, Oh, the boxing, oh, his name the oh. boxing champion. Yeah. And then they kind of merge yeah. at the end a little bit, which I thought was great. Yeah. You know, and I think that that was that for me, it was important because I wanted to have a character that um, re- represented what his life would look like on the outside, because I think that that's something that we knew that we probably wouldn't be able to get beyond like, that and so if you could have this pov from a from a person who went through the whole process that you can see that hey he's still not really where he wants to be and he's kind of like this champion that's kind of fallen a little bit then you can almost put the two together that you say yeah when if noi got out this is like his best case scenario and good or bad that's what it is so that we don't have to continue that narrative yeah you know what has happened to Noy since he got out? Do you know? You know, I think he's still working. Last time I checked was like a year ago, and he was back fighting um, wow. and then helping at the chicken shop. Okay. You know, so he's still out of prison. That's good. And he's still, and his son is fighting. And so wow. his little son is, yeah, is a fighter. That's and awesome. And so that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. That, that is pretty cool. I, I, I think it was a great story. Um yeah. Kind of transitioning from the big time stuff. I and mean, that's to, to me just great storytelling. And, and mm-hmm. now we've seen you do a couple of things. We saw you with the ESPN 30 for 30 with Chuck and Tito. You have the poster behind you here. Um, I, I thought it was one of the best of the 30 for 30s. There's a number of them that I really like. I thought you told a great story there. And now with WWD Evil, I want to ask quite a couple of questions about working with UFC and WWE as far as the storytelling itself, I'll be talking about this for a moment before we came on, before we recorded, 
But, you know, when working with a big organization like UFC, like WWE, does it hinder or does it help in the storytelling? I mean, obviously they have a brand and they want to protect their brand. You mentioned that as well. Kind of talk a little bit about that and how the difficulties or is there any advantages to that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's pros and cons, right? You know, I think that um, as a storyteller, sometimes you want to go into things that, uh, you know, add interest to the general public. Um, Maybe you want to dip into more controversy than what a brand would be um, comfortable with. So I think in those ways, it's always kind of a challenge, you know, because you just like Michael Jordan on the last dance or just like any big time celebrity, like when you choose to do that, you know, you choose to step into an arena where you have to work within certain parameters. Um, That's not saying that there's not great stories still to be told, but you just have to know that there's that those are the rules of the game, you know? And so that's just kind of what it is. Um, So I don't really see it as, um, really a hindrance in any kind of way. It just challenges you more creatively to be like, okay, well, let's narrow down on the story and take out this kind of conflict. And we, how do you heighten the other kinds of conflict and, and pull that out, you know? And so, you know, I, I've heard some people be like, ah, oh, well, you know, they didn't address this or they should have addressed that. Or, you know, with UFC specifically, like, oh, we should talk about fighters pay or you should talk about that. And, and trust me, like, you know, I think from a filmmaker standpoint and from an entertainment standpoint, you always want to try to answer as many questions as you can for the audience or, you know, stay as neutral as you possibly can. But um, the reality is, is that's just something that you're not going to be able to talk about yeah. whenever you're, Um, whenever people have a lot of money on the line, you know? And so, um, and I don't think that the film really suffers from it. I think it's more of just like, there's different ways to tell the story. And, um, you know, I'm really proud of the stories that we were able to tell. And um, honestly, like UFC and WWE were both incredible partners. And, you know, you mentioned that it's a benefit to have them in some cases. It totally is because nobody knows their story better than them. You know, I mean, sometimes you want to try to tell a different way they've done it but the truth is the truth and so sometimes they're the ones that kind of can help you be like hey yeah this is whatever they can offer insight that you wouldn't otherwise have i I asked that because i i love the idea you mentioned the controversy was ufc more open to some of the controversy than wwe i don't know that it was um anybody was really open to controversy i think it's kind of you know, they know what has been talked about before. Yeah. And so I think that there's a certain level of being like, hey, this has been talked about before and we're comfortable with it now. You know, time kind of heals all wounds and, okay. you know, different things like that. You yeah. know, so I think that there's some level of it. I would say, um, I don't know that one was really different than the other. They're very similar. I'd say yeah. that maybe the WWE was a little bit more open just because they're in the entertainment business and yeah. any heat is good heat. You know, okay. and so like they're in the wrestlers themselves. Yeah, they, I mean, the wrestlers themselves are kind of like, as long as your name is getting out there, if you're a bad guy, then they don't really care if you say bad things, you yeah. know, as opposed to, you know, some other things that these are like real people, you know, sometimes these are characters that they're they're talking about and to make those connections with the characters, especially in a show like Evil, yeah. is not necessarily a bad thing, you know, so the unique part of us for that show 
was that we're trying to make a connection between the real person and this evil person. And sometimes they're not an evil person, you know, like they're a really good person. So in some ways it encourages you to look at how, what is that duality really and try to make a connection. So, you know, that was kind of fun. Let's go into WWE evil. I've seen all the episodes now on Peacock. I've seen them all. And I think you did great work here. Um, I think there's some stories are better than others. And surprisingly, you got some big names. I mean, some of the names you were talking to, you're talking to Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, uh, Stephanie McMahon, The Miz, the, the Brothers of Destruction, which includes The Undertaker and Kane, Roman Reigns, Randy Orton, Sasha Banks. I will tell yeah. you my personal favorite one was Sasha Banks. I thought she had the best story. You know, I hear that a ton. I it's, it was- it's, it's really interesting to see how people like respond to it. You know, because there was, I mean, there's, it's all over on what people like. You yeah. Know? I thought you guys did an especially good job on hers. Uh, my question is with WWE, what was your um, familiarity with the product before doing it? Before working with this uh, project? Nothing. I mean, I played like wow. N64 with like, okay. you know, uh, that, you know, I was kind of a fan as a kid. Okay. Uh, you know, I mean, I liked that era of the Hollywood Hogan and, WCW and NWO, like I loved yeah. that era. My okay. parents wouldn't really let me watch the Attitude Era stuff, okay. you know, and so okay. I didn't really uh, know. To, I knew some about it, but I didn't know to the depth of being like, hey, you should be the director because you're this crazy super fan, you know, but I think when I got the job and the reason I got the job is because I was the same way with the UFC. I mean, I didn't that really, I knew who Chuck, Chuck Liddell was and Tito Ortiz were and, you know, what I bring to the table as a storyteller is that I make something that everybody can enjoy. And I find myself being able to be like, I'm not going to get in the weeds on, you know, whatever topic it is and do some crazy deep dive on it. I'm going to make it really entertaining and it's going to move at a really good pace. And it's going to be entertaining for people that are diehards. You're going to get enough information. That's like, well, that's new. I hadn't heard that, but your grandma could watch it and your wife could watch it and they're going to be entertained by the character stuff. And okay. so that's kind of become my brand is like, Oh, okay. You can drop me into any kind of subculture and I'll make it cool. You know? And that one was freaking hard, man. I mean, we did not have any pre-production and we did eight documentaries in six yeah. months. So let's I mean, that's unheard of. It know? is. And come at that process. So when you, when you getting started here, you don't have a lot of history or a lot of, I mean, you know, kind of the fringe of it, like you said, of the WWE product. How does this come about? I mean, how does it that you become the guy for Peacock and for WWE when it comes to evil? Yeah. So um, really what it was is that WWE, you know, had a great experience with guys like Jason Hare that's done 30 for 30. And they were like, we want to build our own like um, premium 30 for 30 type series. And we have a deal with Peacock that's going to put it out. So they partnered with a production company called Buna Murray that does um, some other shows, mainly reality shows. They do a show called Ms. and Mrs. Real World, a bunch of different things like that. And they came to me and said, hey, we want to do some like premium documentary stuff. You have a cool visual style. Um, My agent at WME uh, hooked us up. So it was an interview process of how here's a log line you know, that we want to dig into the psychology of bad guys. What do you think this could be? You know, John Cena is attached to it. What do you think this could be? 
you know? And so then you start talking about approach and you start talking about characters and you start talking about what's interesting to you. And if those things align, then you win the job, you know? And so those things come together really quick. In our case, it was, Hey, we need to hear the characters that we think we should do. Let's go through them and um, write up an outline of what we think the story can be. We're going to help me, you. Is that you and your team or is that? It'd be WWE. me, like some other people that I bring on from Boone and Murray, their executives, and then WWE as the partner. Obviously, when it's like a crazy crash course and this is like, you know, having them involved is a good thing. Because I can talk to them and be like, hey, man, I don't know what the like five key moments of their career are. Yeah. You know, like, let's let's do that. But how I work as a storyteller is I'll be like, all right, narratively, we need to have the character go on this journey and he needs to interact with somebody. and There needs to be a conflict about the 10 minute mark. And I map it out like a movie script. Okay. And I go, who would that person be that would cause conflict like this? And they'd say, oh, that's, you know. Russo. Okay. I'm like, ah, okay. Yeah. So let's pull him out. Cool. Okay. Yeah. That's Paul Heyman. Ah, okay, cool. So then I just ask the right questions from a story's perspective and then we fill in all the facts around it. And then okay. usually what I do is I bring on consultants that are really freaking smart and they know everything. So with Chuck and Tito, I bring on Brett Okamoto, who's like the top UFC, you know, guy. I, for this, we brought on a guy named Mick Rouse, who, because there was so much connection of I wanted to know what was going on with WWE um, storylines, but also what was happening with pop culture at the time. Yeah. So we got a guy from, you know, GQ mm-hmm. and he just knows all the stuff. So yeah. we would work in conjunction like that, that yeah. I wouldn't have to, I could get to Wikipedia level by looking at Wikipedia. Sure. But then when I needed to get to deep level, I'd be like, okay, cool. And then it really was just about me as a storyteller, putting a structure in place and setting some parameters and rules so that when the editors would go through and everybody was like, what are we doing again? They could refer back to the rule book and the story guide to kind of like what is permissible and what is not, you know, going forward with the structure. Okay. Um, You've answered a couple of my questions here already. Uh, A couple of questions on the the evil experience. Mm-hmm. When dealing with the wrestlers, when, when you mentioned earlier that your wrestlers are willing to talk, to women, it seems like at times they go in and out of character during an interview. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. It's How super difficult hard. is that? Super hard. Yeah. Super hard. And, you know, one of the things that one of the choices that I made and we didn't really um, we kind of ended up cutting some of it, but um, just to get them in a frame of mind when I was talking to them. I would have them refer to Terry if it was talking about something about Terry and it would be Hulk if he was yeah. talking about the character. Perfect. So I would ask questions about Terry and I would, and they would be like, you know, Hulk. And I'd be like, no, 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 wait, 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 say Terry, you know, just so that they wouldn't because they would dip back and forth yeah. so much. And you'd be like, really is Terry a terrifying guy? Like who are we talking about here? You know, and you especially realize it with Roman Reigns, like his was tricky because they were very much in character at different times because they're used to that promo world. They're used to just giving you sound bites of promos. And so it's about trying to help them, one, understand what you're trying to get and that it is not 
against their brand, it heightens their brand by showing the contrast and who they are as a performer. And so we're trying to make that connection. And if, if you get your head around it, trying to think about them as method actors, yeah, then it's easier to give credit to them because that's always the hard blurred line is what is real in WWE. But if yeah. you think about it as method actors and you present it to them as like, you're a method actor. I want to know your method so that you get credit for all of the amazing things that you intentionally do. Not just like Micah Brown having a good personality, yeah. but you are consciously looking at the crowd, getting them to boo you. You are consciously like, we want to hear that. And yeah. that's what wrestling psychology is. A, a great explanation. Cause there's two things I'll call to that were particular in the, one on Randy Orton's. You got him doing the thing where he's putting his head down and he's getting, and he explains how he kind of gets in the character, that mythology, methodology of doing mm-hmm. that. And uh, I, that, that explains a lot. Now that I've seen that, it was clear that you probably got him to go there and do that. That was awesome. Yeah, then, I mean, that was the whole thing that, of the series that we wanted. You know, yeah. it was that we wanted to tear that curtain down a little bit. Yeah more than what they probably had done in the past. Yeah, and then the other one I'll tell you, I've seen lots of interviews with this guy, with Hulk Hogan, whether it's been, you know, different 30 for 30s or different other projects I've seen him in. I've never seen him be as, well, lack of a better term, truthful as he was in the interview with you. Um, So I think it looks like when you said something about, hey, I want Hulk, I want Terry, because I think that sometimes maybe you can help me with this. How many times is that line blurred even in their own mind? Oh, I think it's blurred all the time. I mean, yeah. he doesn't introduce himself as Terry. Yeah. You know, it's like this. I mean, you uh, it's, it's blurred all the time. Yeah. I think it's I, imagine if you had to play a character for 300 days a year. Yeah. And you're the undertaker. I mean, that was, that was what I was asking him about. You know, I talked to him about that for a while. I was like, was that ever weird? And he was like, uh, eventually it became kind of normal. Okay. But, you know, you hear somebody like Sasha Banks say that she hadn't seen her real hair color in, you know, a year. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, man. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see that where, so for instance, this is where I thought, you know, the, the extremes, you got Sasha Banks saying, she didn't know who Mercedes was at some point. Yeah. She had to step away. And then you got Ric Flair, who is, he's Ric Flair. He's yeah. not Richard Fleer anymore. He's Ric Flair all the time. He's the nature boy all the time now. And so yeah. I thought that that was a great spectrum of how you did this. I thought that, I think each story kind of, they're all different and they're all, they're all well told. Um, of all the, the ones you met, people you went through this, who would you say is the most evil? Ooh, the most evil. Honestly, holistically, Ric Flair. Yeah. Yeah. I think Ric Flair. You know, I've met, obviously, I've met I, didn't, Flair. I didn't. Yeah. I've, he, was, I've met- he was going through some stuff like the same time that we were, you know, uh, filming and some things. And so that episode, uh, you know, changed a lot over a lot of different, uh, reasons, but you know, he's, whenever you are truly, the other people I can say 
they are playing a character to a degree. Yeah. But okay. I think Rick is like, that's who he is. Who he is. And he's fine with it. I think that's the other part. <laughs> I, I have met Rick Flair on three separate occasions. I've been able to converse with him at length on two of them. And yeah. I feel the same way. You don't know that that's who he is. He is that that's character. Who he is. He's the nature boy. Yeah. And good or bad. No, he was one of them. come out on his yacht with him. Uh, you know, he has a boat. He was like, Hey, we're going to go, I'm going to go on this yacht. You can come. And I said, I was trying to ask him questions about, you know, what his parties are like. And he's like, come join me. And I was like, man, I'm not ready for that. Oh man. <laughs> I, I would have turned that down. I would not have turned that down. We had, if we didn't have Hogan the next day, I would have, but it was kind of, uh, <laughs> you got to be ready for all. Yeah. Um, how was Hulk? I, you know, there's been a lot of people who, He's a one of those characters and one of those people now that's kind of a, a lightning rod. There's he, he's yeah. someone in, in if you want to call it cancel culture, I hate that term, but he's someone that's kind of half-ass canceled now with some of the things he said and done in the last few years. How was he to work with? Yeah. He was great to work with. I mean, I can't, you know, I don't um I don't agree with the things that he said, clearly. I, I like, certainly don't like terrible, you know, what he did. Um, and you know, some of the things that he's done in his own life, uh, definitely you kind of dig your own graves, you know, whenever you do that, I do, I don't know if it's changed, you know, I know that he has said publicly a lot of things that he's sorry. Um, and I know that, um, for us and our interview and my experience with him, it was good. I think that, uh, you know, everybody deserves a second chance and, um, you know, I'm not here to advocate for his character. I don't know what he's like, but in our experience, in my experience with him, he was very professional, answered all the questions, wasn't, um, you know, I'd kind of been prepped that he was difficult and, you know, uh, I did not experience that myself. He was, he was great. Hey, one of the other things I wanted to bring up on evil is you got some different people interviewed in this thing. Um, for instance, on the Ric Flair one, you had killer Mike. You know, he talked about some of the hip hop. He's the smartest person I've ever talked to in my life, by the way. I'm a big fan. Everything I've ever seen him talk about, he is on a whole other level of IQ that I don't think many of us are at. Um, People don't realize that. Like, I mean, I'm sure some people realize that. That guy's a genius. That dude is smart as heck. Yeah. I love, I've seen a couple of his shows and I've seen a couple of his things he's done on YouTube. And then I've seen him in this interview or that interview and just go, this is someone who could be in charge. Like, this is a guy who could be, he could be a president. I mean, he is just, he's that thoughtful and insightful, you know. Um, but you had any, yes. so how did interviews like him and a couple of people that you had in, in culture come about for the interviews? Uh, you've had some folks from, there were some other music folks in there as well. But talk about how, like, that was, how did those come about as far as how does that get put into the, how does that get paired with a certain character? Uh, with some of these yeah, so it's tricky because, you know, ideally you have celebrities, whenever you have celebrity people pop up, there's some connection, you know, yeah. so first it started there. One, you got to have some connection to like, why do they make sense to pop in? Yeah. Some people don't necessarily make sense, um, but they're like a huge fan. So I guess they're knowledgeable about it and you got to approach them. It's just like a, uh, you know, a, an expert. Um, but then, you know, you kind of go through and you say, who has a, who has a song about this? You know, you're going to go get Flatbrush Zombies. There's some people like that that have some NWO connections, you know, like, cool, that's great. 
um, Killer Mike. He was just a huge Ric Flair fan. And so if nothing else, he can speak, you know, and one of the things that for me, I wanted to make sure that we didn't have too many people that were just on there to boost the IP and that they were people that actually knew what they were talking about. Because I think that, you know, in this world that we live in as, uh, you know, network execs and different people tend to think that if you just put a star on there, that they make it better. And you're like, man, we can't, you know, uh, we got to have some reason. And so it was like Mario Lopez, you know, Mario Lopez is in the Hulk one, but Mario Lopez says when I was a kid, you know, and he's talking about his experience. Yeah. And that was kind of my one thing to have a guy like that on there. Cause I was yeah. like, this guy's going to be on evil. This guy, like, I know he was a villain at Bayside high, but like, <laughs> how's he going to work? You know? Well, so I it's, uh, your use of that was incredible. I, I thought it was great. And you did like the ones you've had and, and we saw that a few times in here. Um, so, yeah, I, I wanted to ask about that. So, yeah. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, let me see here. Got a couple of quick ones for you here. Uh, you worked yeah. both WWE and UFC. And uh, I want to ask, who was, who was the one, If who, whether it's better promoter, whether it's better this businessman, Vince McMahon or Dana White, who you got? Who would you rather work with? Oh, man. Who would I rather work with or who I think is well, a better... Things, uh, what do you, tell me a little bit about both. Or just Vince McMahon and, and Dana White. Um, you know, I don't know Vince. I don't know either of them personally very well. You know, like I've worked with both of them and I've had business exchanges with both of them. And I think they're both different. I think they're both highly motivated people that um, obviously have achieved a lot. Yeah. Um I think that they're both in the entertainment business to a degree. And um, I don't know, that's a tricky one. I don't know that I can pick one that's like, oh, you know, I work more with the UFC. So I think that, you know, obviously I think that their brand is more yeah. in line with the the stuff that I, I tend to resonate with. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I had no issues with either one of them. They were fun, you know. All right, so this is the question that wrestling fans want to know. Who's yeah. the greatest, Ric Flair or Hulk Hogan? Hmm. Well, I mean, if those are the two that we're saying yeah. that are the greatest. Who, who would you put up there with? Man, I'm honestly, I'm kind of, um, I, I think Ric Flair is very good from a setting the bar of charisma. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Hulk Hogan, you can argue the same thing, man, from doing this series, I, I think that the undertaker is the greatest wrestler of all time. Wow. Okay. I love it. I I love it. You got to go. I think think the undertaker is, and and the reason is because he created a, a, a character and he got people to believe in something that was unbelievable. And when you look at the time, there weren't a ton of like supernatural characters. Yeah. And then um, the way that he was able to begin as a supernatural character and get people to really buy in and he invested in becoming that guy. You could argue that Hulk Hogan is kind of the same. Terry Bollea is kind of the same as Hulk Hogan, the way he acts. It's like, yeah. that's what it is. Ric Flair certainly is too. That was easy yeah. to do. But as a performer, Mark Calloway is not the same as The Undertaker. 
And that was a really big performer doing that who survived that gimmick for a long time and even had to change his gimmick when everything started moving away from fans wanting to be in this fantastical world. And he had to be a normal guy for a while. He was yeah. the, the more real badass, reality. You know? based world. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so to me, I feel like that's super impressive um, as a performer to keep a storyline going at a high level for that many years. That is so far fetched. I think he's the best of all time. All right. Well, Mike, uh, the last question here, what's next, what's next for you? What's the next project? What are you, what are you on to now? Right now I'm trying to catch my breath, man. <laughs> Honestly, I, uh, six I'm, of these I'm, in eight, it was it six of these in six months you had to do. Eight docs in six months, you know, and so it was a lot. Um, I'm doing a KU football series for Leaf, Learfield that should come out in the next two weeks. Okay. Um, and that's just a short digital series. Where will we um, find that? That'll be on all KU athletics channels. Okay. You know, so it'll be on YouTube, social media, all that stuff. So okay, um, it's cool. It kind of dives, dives into a little bit of the um, – method of the new coaching staff and you know what their approach is and trying to help answer the the burning questions that the fans would have about why is this different how is this different what are they actually doing we hear about culture 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 every two years it feels like with k football and you know so what does the culture mean how do you actually define it and so i think it's something for me as an alum it's been fun a nice little change of pace and and a break and i think people like it very cool well, congratulations. This is a great season. I think it's these eight docs. I think that if you're a wrestling fan, you're really going to enjoy it. If you're not a wrestling fan, you kind of want to know a little more about these characters. I think you'll enjoy it as well. I think you said it right. We said that you wanted a hardcore fan to enjoy it, but you also wanted the grandma to enjoy it. I think you hit the nail right on the head with all eight episodes. I think it's really, really nice, man. I really, I think it's great. I, I actually stayed up late last night watching one last one I hadn't got in, which is the Randy Orton. <laughs> I was like, I haven't seen that one. Oh, nice. I know there's something I'm going to miss, and I want to make sure I can talk about it. Yeah. So uh, I didn't want to get into each episode individually, but uh, I, it's awesome stuff. Um, will there be a season two? I think there will be a season two. Um, I don't there's know if I'll be doing it. There's some meat on the bone. talk about here. Yeah, I think there'll be. I think there'll be a bunch. You know, I think that they're definitely. Uh, I think they'll have a lot of seasons of it. You know, I think for me, like around be involved still, in season two. I don't think so. I think I'll I'll probably like pass the torch to somebody else. Yeah. I think it's uh, it's it was really fun and I loved every second of it. But you know, after a while, if you do eight, you know, documentaries, you don't really need to do nine. You know, so I'm happy to like pass the torch to another filmmaker that can kind of keep a thing going. We set it up, and um, you know, we'll see. Well, it's gonna be but hey, never say never, man. It's never gonna, say never, man. You already are in the wrestling business now. If you're saying that, <laughs> never, yeah, never say never. <laughs> like the code word for the uh, for they right. leave all doors open in the wrestling business. That's right. Hey, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate you taking the time. I know we've been trying to get hooked up for a while, and, it, and the timing now is perfect. Now that Evil is out on Peacock, and you can get all episodes streaming. They actually are now going to have them on USA after NXT on Tuesday nights as well. So. You can check yeah. them out there. Um, I you should be really proud. I think it's a really great deal. So thank Thanks you for coming for on the, the podcast today and uh best of luck in the future.
Hey, thanks again to Micah Brown for coming in and talking all about WWE Evil. Um, if you haven't seen it yet, if you're a wrestling fan, you definitely want to catch it. And if you're not a wrestling fan, if you just like great stories, I definitely recommend it. Uh, there are There's eight episodes. They're about an hour, a little under an hour if you watch them on Peacock, about 45 minutes. Uh, they are really good. They tell great stories. Micah is a fantastic storyteller, so I want to thank him for coming in and doing that. I love the prison fighter story about the mobster and sitting in the sauna. I mean, when we started our interview and he hit me with that story, I was locked in. I was like, oh, I'm in now. Uh, he was pretty great. Uh, loved his takes on the uh, on, on what they were really looking at doing. When I, before speaking to him, when I watched WWE Evil, I kept thinking, well, they're evil, but there's like everyone kind of has this, they're a good guy at the end. And having talked to Micah now, I think I see where he was going, and I, I definitely see it. And I saw it as I was watching it, actually, seeing, well, wait a minute, there's a redemption story to each of the parts. And I thought he did, they did a fantastic job with that. Micah as a director and then as a producer as well. Um, love his take on The Undertaker as the, uh, as the greatest of all time. You know, I'm a Ric Flair guy myself, but I do see his point. I think it's an interesting point for sure. And definitely check out his newest projects coming out with KU Athletics. Uh, it's going to be on all the social medias, including KU Athletics' YouTube. It'll be out in the next couple of weeks, uh, getting into KU football. Um, he's, you know, we, we see already how great a storyteller he is. I know he's done some stuff for KU football in the past. I think with this uh, group of the coaching staff and what they're really trying to do at Kansas, I think it's going to be really good stuff. So, again, my thanks to Micah Brown for coming on. And um, hopefully we'll have him back again soon. Before we get out of here, I do want to uh, represent and uh, talk for talk about my sponsor, our new sponsor here, uh, Gold Belly. And if you don't know about Gold Belly yet, you need to try this out. So Gold Belly is a site where you can go on and get comfort food, uh, different things, different foods from different restaurants across the country. Um, they're a great sponsor to us. And I'll give you some ideas of things they've got here. First off, the new milk kits are incredible. The new milk, kit, milk, uh, milk kits also include places like Pat's King of Steaks in Philly. That's right, the Philly cheesesteak, Pat's. You can get a full meal kit on Gold Belly. gets delivered right to your door, and you can make six and eight Phillies at a time and check it out. It's a great way. If you're someone like me who travels and tries different places, then goes, oh, man, I wish I could do that. It's a fantastic way to go back to those restaurants without leaving your home. I had some of the Commander's Palace gumbo sent over, and it was, well, it was excellent. <laughs> so uh, another one of those meal kits to try out, I'm actually going to think I'm going to order some for myself, is uh, from New York City, Gray's Papaya, which is the hot dogs and papaya drink. I'm, I, I need, think I need to get on that. It's going to be my next order from uh, Gold Belly. Lots of cool stuff there. Check out the show notes. There's a link. You'll save $25 in your first order of $50 or more. And it's going to be delivered right to your door. It's a great deal. There's gift cards. If you're thinking about getting something for somebody and you're thinking about who's that person that I, I they're hard to buy for, boom, here's a whole bunch of ideas. Um, I'm actually going to use this, I think, for gifts for a while. So check it out. Um, Gold Belly, check out our in our show notes. The link on there, take that link, save yourself 25 bucks in your first order, and uh, that'll make everybody happy, including yourself. 
So as we finish up here, uh, again, I want to say thank you to Micah Brown coming off for the interview. I want to say thanks to Tyler Jones, everybody at Studio Soapbox for all you do behind the scenes. Most importantly, thank you to you, the listener. Don't forget to rate us and review us. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast, we appreciate every five-star review. I'll be back on Friday. We'll have um, Ellen and I. We'll be doing a little bit of NFL draft talk, kind of see where the NBA playoffs are and uh, kind of just see what's going on around the, uh, the sports world at that time. So until Friday, I'm Coach Bo, Brian O'Connor. Have a great week. Remember your time tokens are non-refundable. Take care, everybody.